Hear the word of God from Hebrews chapter 11. You can follow along in your own Bible or on the screen. Hebrews 11 verses 1 through 6. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. Awesome. We're continuing in the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews, as we've been saying pretty much every week, is a book written to people who are being very beaten down by life, by difficulties, by the brutalities of this existence. They needed encouragement to endure. The book of Hebrews, in a sense, is a a piece of intense public pastoral counseling because it's designed at, its very, at every spot to help the audience get what it needs to face the difficulties of life and handle it. They were given the keys to refute the Judaizers by showing how Jesus is in the line of Melchizedek. They were shown how Jesus is better than the prophets and the law. They were walked through how Jesus was the fulfillment of the ultimate sacrifice. Today, and actually last week as well, as we take a look at chapter 11, we're told one of the keys to dealing with the difficulties of life is to be people of faith. Last week I said that it was essential to have faith in in the better resurrection, to live the life we're called to live now. So last week I said that it's essential to believe in the afterlife, essential to hope in what is to come in order to face what we have today. So I'm gonna let you guys in on a little secret. I'm afraid of heights. Not much of a secret. Not that big a deal. But see, I don't mind being on high, pl- like being in a plane. I don't mind being on high buildings or anything like that. Those things don't bother me. But like, I will never ride a Ferris wheel. Those are death traps. I don't know who would ever ride a Ferris wheel. Foolishness. I'll ride a roller coaster though. I don't know why. That's it's much better. I don't know. I'm weird. But I think it's like when I feel that there's a chance that the fall will get me, like a flimsiness of the Ferris wheel or the kind of the unbalance of it makes me very afraid. Totally freaks me out. Gina and I were on our honeymoon, rode a a cable car. You know, those like, not cable, what are they called cable cars? Those things like like a ski lift kind of thing? I don't know what they're called, whatever they're called. Uh, There's a ski lift where you like, you ride like on a ski lift and there's like a little bar over you. But we like, on ski lifts you get to have two people on it. But for some reason this thing only had one person at a time. So I'm on it and we're only like, 15 feet off the ground the whole time going up a mountain. But I was still like, like gripping, like death grip. And she's just laughing at me. 
she's looking back, and I'm like, Gina, stop swaying, you're moving the whole thing. She's looking back and pointing at me and laughing at me, and, her, and the whole thing is moving, I'm like, stop it. I was, like the whole ride, I like, wasn't enjoying it, beautiful scenery, and I was like, no, no. I don't like it, totally freaks me out. So one day I had a friend of mine who had a pool, and this friend said how much fun it was to go up to the second floor, on the roof, and then jump into the pool. And I'm like, that does not sound like fun. But all my other friends are like, yeah, that sounds incredible. Now, mind you, there's like a, a, a space where here's the roof and the pool's over there. Not a long jump, so there's like a, a pavement space there. So it's not a long jump, but in my mind, all I'm thinking is, I'm gonna go to jump, I'm gonna slip, and I'm gonna hit the pavement. And that will not feel good. People slip all the time. It just seems like a, I'm wet from the pool, going off a roof, does not seem like a good idea. I wasn't about to do it, wasn't happy with the idea. But then I saw one by one my friends doing it. And with a combination of confidence, because I saw that they were able to pull it off. I mean, if my one friend could make that jump, I can definitely make that jump. That's what I thought. Also, kind of shame. If I don't do this, they're going to make fun of me forever. I jumped. And I landed in the pool. Right? right? Whew. <laughs> now, I did it because people ahead of me did it. And I thought then maybe it could be done. Right? If nobody did it ahead of me, believe me, I would never do it. You see, according to legends, experts said for years that the human body was simply not capable of running the four-minute mile. Do you guys know that? For years, people were like, four-minute mile is impossible. It wasn't just dangerous for the body. They said it was impossible. Further, legends said that people tried for years to break the barrier. Even legends said that they tried tying bulls behind them to incentivize to make the impossible happen. I know. <laughs> In the 1940s, the mile record was pushed to four minutes and one second, where it stood for nine years, as runners struggled with the idea that may, just maybe the experts had it right. This is the peak of human ability. That this is the limit. On May 6, 1954, a guy named Roger Bannister broke the four-minute barrier, running the distance in 359.4. Has anybody ever seen Chariots Fire? Anybody? You guys want to talk about the song? Anybody know the song? <laughs> As part of his training, he relentlessly visualized the achievement in order to create a sense of certainty in his mind and body. But get this, this is what I want you to get. Barely a year after Banish's accomplishment, someone else ran in in under four minutes. Then some more runners did. It's actually now routine that people can, not routine, like that I can't go do it, but <laughs> it's actually now like, they're actually like high school runners even now can run a four minute mile. It's incredible what once you see something happen, once you see it be accomplished, you think the impossible can happen all of a sudden, and you think, I've seen them do it, maybe I can do it too. You see, someone believes it can be done, then it pushes them to do it themselves. I think this is the heart of the writer of Hebrews here. This is his heart of Hebrews here. He's saying, guys, guys, look at these heroes. By faith, they did the impossible. By faith, they held on. I'm telling you about them because let me tell you, they did it, you can do it too. Right? This is the heart. This is the message that the Hebrews author is getting to. All this has kind of led. Here in chapter 11, Hebrews kind of reached a plateau from which we can see an excellent view of those who's gone before. And we look at them, we can discover for themselves what is up ahead. And we get this idea that there's a great welcome for us. I want you to understand this. The, Hebrew, the author of Hebrew gives us a tool which by all this important journey, this tool, this all-important tool that we need on this journey. And he's saying the tool that we need is faith. 
The journey is this journey going to the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. Uh, but this great company of people, these great heroes, have done it first. They broke the four-minute barrier. You can do it too. They jumped off the roof and into the pool. You can do it too. And what it took, what they want, the Hebrew authors want you to get, is it took faith. So Hebrews 11 offers two things which go together. On the one hand, a description of faith itself, the key asset which we need. On the other hand, a brief history of God's people, particularly the key figures in the early period. So here's what we're actually going to do as a church. For the next few weeks, we're actually going to dive into these main characters. This is a chapter called the Hall of Faith, commonly referred to as the Hall of Faith. And these are incredible characters, incredible stories of our history. And I want you to take ownership of that. I want you to say, this is our history. You know, I think that's one of the problems that we've often kind of lost in this day. We've lost a connection to tradition. We've lost a connection to a bigger story. We lost a connection to the meta-narrative that is our existence, right? And I want you to go back and realize, no, we're connected to something bigger than just our one life at this moment. That God's been weaving this incredible story. He's been doing his incredible purposes, and we're a part of it. And these are our ancestors. They are our heroes, but we can say that's like my great-great-grandpa, right? I love when my parents tell me stories about my grandparents or great-grandparents. You know, I think sometimes my mom made up stories for me, but I like to believe them. Right? So I tell people, yeah, there's like samurais back in my existence, and, you know, this person discovered electricity. I don't know. My mom said it was true. <laughs> But there's something about us that loves that connection, right, to the past that says, oh, what did my ancestors do? What did they overcome? I can do that too, right? And this is what this is saying. This, this Hebrew stories that we're going to go into the next few weeks, they're saying this is what our ancestors did. Our relatives. We're descendants of them. There's a song that the kids used to sing, right? Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had father Abraham. That's a great song, by the way, right? I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord right on. Okay. Right, right? And here's the cool thing, though. We forget the lesson of that, right? Is that we are connected to father Abraham. We are his descendants. We are the stars that was promised to him. Do you get that? There's a bigger story than just our one existence in this one short life that's like a vapor. We're connected to more. And so in this next series, we're going to dive into this section of Hebrews. We're going to talk about Noah and Abraham and Moses. But mainly we're going to talk about the all-important tool that they have in living their life and overcoming is faith. Faith. Now, we spoke last week. It wasn't all about always about overcoming, Right? If you guys remember, those of you who were here last week, we also talked about there was another list of people who didn't overcome. There was a list of people who were sawn in half and who were abandoned and the world was not worthy of them, right? There was a list of people who suffered and suffered greatly in this world. But can I tell you, they suffered and lived only by faith. And it's only because of faith that we have the promise that their lives were not in vain. It's that promise we live in for all of you who are suffering today. It's only by faith and only because of faith can we have hope that says your life, even in, even in its suffering, is not in vain and it's not worthless and it's not pointless. Do you hear that? Faith is the all-important tool, whether you're triumphing or whether you're suffering. And guys, in life, don't we have both? 
So it is the all-important tool of life. Amen? Faith is an important and repeated subject in the New Testament. 240 plus times God speaks to us about faith in the New Testament. Right? So God's a good teacher. Uh, good teachers repeat points that need to be brought home. They repeat it over and over again. If it's important, he'll say it over. A good teacher will say it over and over again because at least if you forget everything else, you'll remember the point, right? Well, when God repeats something 240 times, he wants you and me to understand. Interestingly, don't you get this? Christians are called various things in the New Testament. Sometimes Luke, for instance, calls us followers of the way. But one of the most important titles for Christians in the New Testament is found in Acts 2.44. It says we're called believers. Think about this for just a second. We're defined as people who believe, as people who have faith, as people who exercise their faith, as those who are of faith. Author, Hebrews 10.39 says this, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So our very title, who we are, the, the, the denomination of believers is those who believe, those who have faith. Faith is vital to not only to our salvation, not only to begin the Christian life, not only for our justification, our forgiveness, our pardon, faith is vital to the ongoing life of the Christian. So the author of Hebrews wants to, uh, us to address this issue of faith. He's given us warnings in the book about falling away. Now he wants us to instruct us in the faith instrument that God has appointed for our living this Christian life. So in Hebrews 11:2. It doesn't give us quite a definition of faith, but gives us a description of what faith does, of how it works. So I want you to look this morning with me at verse 11, verse 1 and 2 real quickly and see a few things that these verses teach us about faith. The first thing I want you to see uh, in this verse is the role and necessity of faith. Faith is necessary for the Christian life, and it has a unique and important role. It says here, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and insurance about what we do not see. In this passage, he's telling us there's a crucial relationship between faith and our assurances of the promises of that God has given to us, the rewards that he's pledged us that we've not even received yet. Faith assures us of those things, of those hoped for. The very word that he uses in this passage, I want you to hear this for assurance, is the word that was used in the day that this letter was written for a title deed to a house. So that very word that was used, the Greek word for assurance, was also used as the word for a deed, a title for a house. It's an assurance with the government that the home is yours. It's your security. Someone can come in stronger than you and say, kick you out of your house and try to take your home. But your security, your assurance is that I got my title. I got my deed. This is my home. So he's saying faith is the title deed. It's the title deed to the things that's coming. It's the thing that's saying, I got it, it's coming, here's the ticket for it. I got it, it's coming, here's my certificate for it. It's assurance and hope for that God, what God's promised you. Faith is the instrument whereby you are assured of receiving what God promises to you in his word. Then he goes on to say, it is a conviction, it is a confidence of things not seen. In other words, it's the way we become convinced of things we don't see yet of things we don't even understand with our eyes. And guys, we become such a culture where we only believe things that we can measure and see. We only often believe in the things that are tangible to us. But I think how important this is, this whole concept is in the whole story of the Bible. God comes to Noah and says, uh, says to Noah, I'm gonna flood the world. Noah looks around and says, what? It's kind of blue skies, God, what are you talking about? 
And God says, no, I'm going to flood the world. You need to build an ark. And looks around and sees dry land. And then he says, build this massive ark. Are you crazy? But by faith, he does it. Something he cannot see happening, but he by faith does something. All he has to go on is God's word. That happens over and over again in the Bible. God goes to an old man named Abram. He says, Abram, your wife Sarah is going to have a child. Abram says, Lord, kind of old. We're well past our prime years of childbearing. We've tried for a long time. I don't see it. And God says, you're going to have a baby, you're going to have a boy, and I'm going to promise you he's going to have an heir, that baby's going to have an heir, and you're going to bless the nations through it. And it says in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed and the Lord credited to him as righteousness. Over and over again, believers are called to trust God's word, even when they don't see it yet. And the author of Hebrews says this is how faith works. It is an instrument whereby you are convinced of things that you can't even see yet. And so in this passage, he's describing what faith is like and how it works. It works in our assurance in the Christian life. It works in our conviction of the promises of God to us that we don't see yet. He doesn't give a definitive definition in this passage, but he gets really close in verse 6. It says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. In other words, he indicates that faith is both in God's person, you believe that he is, and in God's promises, you believe that he will fulfill his promise to reward you. And that's what fits with the whole message of the New Testament. When I talk to people about kind of knowing and accepting Jesus Christ for the first time, I often try to get to the heart of two questions. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins and is risen as your living Savior? And two, do you trust in his promises for you? And will you go where he calls you because you trust in his promises? The first part of the idea is do you believe, right? The second part is do you trust? Do you believe? Do you trust? And those are the two essential parts of faith. Faith is believing in God and what he says, especially as Christ as he offered in the gospel and trusting his promises to fulfill his pledge to you. It is both believing and trusting. Do you hear that? Faith is both not just one or the other. It is both believing God is who he says he is. He is the Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is God creator. He is magnificent. He is holy. He is good. You believe it, but not just believing it. You trust it. You trust that his promises are good. You trust that he will restore the world. You trust that all suffering and all goodness in this world is just a picture and that God's going to use it for further glory. You trust that. That's faith. And that's what gets you through life well now. There's two elements of faith I want to kind of dive into. First element is this. I want you to understand that faith is rational. See, we use a lot of words about trusting in what you do not see, right? And so somebody can look up to you and be like, oh, that sounds kind of like spacey, right? Oh, so you're saying faith is something you don't see, so should you try faith in a purple dinosaur ruling the world? You know, or that doesn't really, I don't like that, it's not rational. I want you to hear this, I want you to hear that faith is, even the way Hebrews says it here, faith is rational. It takes thinking. 
You can't have faith in God unless you believe that he exists, that the things that the Bible tell you about his existence make sense. So verses 1 and 3 have very awesome words saying, saying this. I want you to hear this, okay? The word certain is a word that means to validate through evidence. Certain of things not seen. That's why in some of the old translations, it actually uses the word evidence. Faith is evidence. Verse 3 says, by faith we understand Right? By faith, we understand that the universe was formed. That word understand is another word that means to think or reason. Do you hear that? So the author of Hebrews is not saying have a, 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 a kind of a dumb faith. The Bible author of Hebrews is not saying have an unreasonable faith. He's saying have a rational, evidenced faith, an assured faith, a reasoned faith. Now, I thought about at this point bringing up all these classical philosophical arguments here teleological argument, ontological argument for the existence of God. But I read this argument that Tim Keller illustrates and this shares with um, his congregation. Uh, he used it multiple times in different sermons, and I thought it was one of the, one of the best arguments I love to hear for, the, for how faith is reasonable. And I want to share with you today. Alastair McIntyre is a great Catholic philosopher, and he says, says it like this. Imagine I have a radio. How do I know if this radio is a good radio? I can't answer that question, is, it, is this a good radio, unless I answer the prior question, what is a radio built for, right? What's its purpose? What's it made for? I mean, I can't be mad and say, this is a terrible radio because it's not turning on my TV, right? This is a terrible radio because it's not taking me to work. Right? I can't say that because that's not the purpose that the radio was made for, you know? It's not making good toast, you know? I'm trying to put bread into the radio, I'm like, radio stinks. That's just foolish. That's just dumb, right? You have to know what the purpose of the radio is before you can even judge whether it's good or bad. Let's ask this question then. How do you know a human being is good or bad? How do you know a human action is good or bad? McIntyre says you can't possibly even begin to answer that question unless you can answer a prior question. What are human beings made for? If this seen world is all there is, if there's no God, if there's no supernatural, if there's no soul, if everything has a natural cause, and then we're here by accident, we're not here with any purpose, and that means it's impossible to judge any action as right or wrong. Right? You may feel violence and oppression are wrong, but that's just a feeling. Because if this seen world is all there is, there's no such thing as right and wrong. All statements in right and wrong are just a matter of opinion. And yet we have this unavoidable knowledge, it's kind of something inside of us that says certain things are wrong. When we see genocide, abuse of children, all of a sudden you just, I, I don't care who you are, when you get your stuff stolen from you, you think innately that is wrong. There's something inside of us that said that is absolutely, positively, no question in my heart, in my soul, in my life, that is, oh, well, it could be right for you to steal my stuff. No, you don't ever think that way, do you? You think it's wrong. So as soon as you there is a right and wrong, love is better than hate, and then realize that this, if this scene world is all there is, those statements which are correct, but they make no sense. If you begin to realize the world cannot be, this world is all there is. Faith is beginning to help you make sense of what you see. So you see, faith is rational, is reasonable. Faith makes sense of the world you can't even see. You can't have faith unless the things, 
the Bible tells you about God and about the unseen world makes sense. And the unseen world makes sense, only makes sense in light of the Bible. And this is what faith is. Do you hear that? It is reasonable. It is rational. But the second thing faith is, is also motivates and moves. It motivates and moves. In Hebrews 11, you see over and over again, the writer saying, by faith, the heroes did something. By faith, Abel brought. Noah built. Abraham went. Jacob blessed. And so on, so on. Faith drives to action. It is not a passive belief. It is an active action placed upon belief and trust. It is taking hope and fleshing it out. Everyone do me a favor. This is going to be a little different, so just do me a favor here, okay? Everyone stand up, if you're able to. If you're not, don't worry about it. But everyone stand up for me a second. Right where you're at, just stand up. Okay? All right. Now look down at your chair. It's a nice chair, comfortable. Belief is looking at your chair and saying, it can hold me up if I sit on it. It can hold me if I sit on this chair. That's belief. You think that. It's a rational thought. You just sat on it a second ago, so you know that it can. You know that what this, that's what chairs are made for. You've seen others sit on the chair. But here's the deal. Believing that you can sit in that chair is not faith. What did I say? Faith about faith earlier, right? It motivates and moves to action. Faith is not just believing, it's also trusting, right? Believing that you can sit in that chair is not faith. Everybody sit back down, please. Faith is you actually sitting in the chair. Faith is you actually taking that belief and sitting in it, trusting in it, resting in it, taking your hope and confidence and living it out. I said earlier, the two questions of faith is belief and trust. Believing God is who he says he is and trusting in his promises. Here's the thing about the chair. You may believe the chair is what the chair says it is. Kind of weird to say that. But you may believe the chair is what the chair is. But faith is taking that belief and putting trust in it. And then putting action to the belief and sitting in it. You guys see how you have faith that the chair will hold you up as you're sitting in it? Does that make sense to you? Maybe you're here today and you've heard all about Jesus since you were young. Maybe you've only recently started hearing about Jesus. Whatever your case, whatever the situation may be, maybe you kind of believe, right? Maybe you've heard of Jesus and maybe it starts making rational sense to you. Well, maybe there is a God. And if there is a God, maybe he is using these people who have invited me to church. Maybe he's using these people who I see live a different way to, to share with me a relationship with him. And maybe that's you here today, or maybe you've grown up, maybe there is a God, and if there is a God, maybe Jesus is real, and if Jesus is real, maybe I'm here today, and God's calling me to something different because I've never actually went from belief to trust to make it faith. Whatever your circumstance, wherever you're at today, can I tell you that this is your opportunity to not just believe, but to have the faith that endures this life and promises tomorrow. They'll have the all-important tool that the heroes of old had that made them both triumph and also suffer, but made them both worthy of the reward. That you have the opportunity to not just say, I believe, but to also say, I believe, I trust. I will sit in the chair. 
I will actually walk in relationship with you, Jesus. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've been going to church your whole life and you just kind of have a, a random belief because your parents taught you. This is your opportunity to say, no, this is more than just a good belief that the chair will hold me up. I choose to trust. When, I, when you say I choose to trust, this is one of my things. At Summit Church, one of the things that they would do at baptism, is I kinda, I, one of my favorite things that they would say to people, they say, do you, will, you, will you promise to go wherever God calls you to go and do whatever he tells you to do, right? And it's the second part of this concept of, of faith, right? It's, it's this trust thing. Because, see, when you trust God, then you're willing to do whatever it takes. You do whatever he calls you to do. You're willing to be like Abraham and say, I'm going to go to a land I've never been to before. I'm going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to, do, I'm going to build an ark like Noah. You see, trust leads to life difference. Trust leads and moves to action. This is what faith is. Guys, can I tell you something? If you're not living and not moving, then you don't trust. Do you hear me? Faith is lacking. And what you need today is to start choosing to trust. So if you haven't heard, and if you've never put, if you believe but you've never put into action, then I, I challenge you today, today could be that day where you start doing that. Maybe some of you are here today and you've just kind of started hearing about some of this stuff. And as you're hearing about it, you're like, this is reasonable. I can believe that. May you then make a decision to trust in it and have that faith. Maybe some of you are today, you've been following. You've been believing, you've been trusting, and life is still so hard. Can I tell you something? You need to be reminded of the beautiful glory that is yours. You see, guys, this is faith is also a reminder that we hope in things that are not seen. And sometimes we often look, oh, if I get Jesus, then my life is going to be great. And if I get Jesus, everything's going to work out well, and that's going to be the answer to all my problems. Guys, can I tell you, that's not true. Well, eventually it's true, but in this life now, that's not necessarily true. Because you accept Jesus doesn't mean all of a sudden that the sun's going to shine every day on you. Because you get Jesus, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's always going to be cheery, skipping up and down in uh, you know, forests. I don't know why that's the image that came to my mind, but that's what it was. <laughs> what it means is this, is that no matter what happens in this life, you know you're known, you're loved, and you have purpose. No matter what happens in this life, you have a better future. No matter what happens in this life, you know that pain and suffering will one day be gone. No matter what happens in this life, you know that all that is wrong will be made right. That's what you have. So for those of you who know, those of you who have faith, be reminded, be encouraged to hold on to that faith. To let it move you to that all-important instrument, that all-important tool that says, this is how I can live this life now. Because can I tell you something? Without faith, I can't read depressing stories in the news anymore. Because without faith, I can't hear sad stories because to me, sad stories seem so meaningless and pointless without faith. How could that happen? I need more than that. But because I have faith, I know that God is making all things new. And because I have faith, I know that all is wrong will be made right. Those of you who've been walking, those of you who have been running this race, run with confidence. Grow in your faith. 
Run, run fast, run hard, because you know who he is. You believe in him, and you're trusting his promises. Do not let go. Because here's a natural trend of the human condition, even those who have faith. Our natural trend is to start forgetting the promises. Our natural trend is to start focusing on life as we know it, the busyness of work and, and, and raising kids and all this kind of stuff. Everything else starts becoming more important than what God's called us to do. And don't get me wrong, raising kids and work is all very important. But by faith, we hold on to the promises he adds. And once we start focusing on other things, once we start losing and start letting go of remembering the faith that we've been given, then we start not trusting we start then not believing. Do you hear me? Now, I'm not, catch me here. I'm not talking about you losing your salvation or anything like that. Hear that very well. I'm very much talking about you who have faith. Grow in your faith and be encouraged to run. So running is a theme that we'll see at the end of the Hall of Faith as we go into chapter 12. And we'll see how the author of Hebrews is encouraging us to do exactly that, to run well. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, God, we thank you for your amazing grace. Because we only know through your grace that we can have faith. Only but as a gift of you. So we thank you for that incredible gift of faith that you've given us. That we can believe in you, we can know you, and we can trust in you. That changes everything, God. So we thank you for your great mighty love for us. And as we remember, as we do acts like communion, your measure, your giving of this grace, this opportunity, God, we remember that, God, that we need our faith to grow. And it's the, the price that was paid for our faith is Jesus' death upon a cross. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.